Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Deuteronomy. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power, and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. After his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. I always worry when we schedule the great litany about the complaints I am likely to receive. We live in the Bay Area, after all, where patience is very thin, and if we're not swearing at the traffic on the highway, we're wondering why things take so long. And so there's a side to me, and probably a side to you as well, that would like to rename the Great Litany the Great Agony. (laughs) Or maybe it's more like make asceticism great again, or something like that. You know, the sense in which we're engaging this Lent in ascetic disciplines again, as much as we Episcopalians can sort of push ourselves to do, you know. We're not very good in the Episcopal Church, to be honest, about talking about sin, let alone temptation, which is why it's probably a good thing that with every Lent, as we open the season with our first Sunday, we have this gospel confronting us. Mark has a simple version of it. Matthew has a long version of it, just like Luke does. Luke does some interesting things that the other authors don't. And curiously enough for Luke, it's not what he adds, but what he omits that is interesting to us. 
Matthew, for instance, and Mark, too, have the angels of God attending to Jesus' needs at the end of the period of temptation in the wilderness. Luke omits that. So we have a sense that Jesus returns to his public ministry empty, not filled. It's meant to make us wonder perhaps a little bit about who this is who will return to Capernaum and to his hometown and begin to proclaim the good news. But what is more terrifying to me about today's gospel reading is the sense in which the devil operates. You see, if you look at it closely, you see that the devil is perfectly capable of quoting scripture too. Which goes to the very roots of some of our most early controversies in the tradition about what authority scripture has. And of course the real question is, Who is using it, and how? Which is, if you'll forgive the expression, a devilish question. Because it kind of pulls the rug out from underneath us if we think we can rely on Scripture all the time to protect us. Perhaps we cannot. Where does that leave us? The first Sunday in Lent is meant to open us to these difficult questions, not resolve them for us. To get us through the door of the beginning of Lent, not to shut doors off, rather to get us started on that long and dusty, windy road that leads to Jerusalem. And as Jesus has already warned us, and his first followers, the cross. Every week, although few of us think on it, and fewer still know about it, it seems, on a regular basis, as we watch the ledgers and the balance sheets of this institution, our parish, every week, a handful of 12-step groups meet here, downstairs in Hammond Hall, sometimes upstairs, sometimes over in the library, sometimes up in the choir room. And they are engaged in a discipline that is as old as Christianity is. They are following the steps that were followed in some way, shape, or form by men and women who fled the complications of the Roman world in the second, third, and fourth centuries. And they fled out into the deserts of Syria, Egypt and the Jordan, looking for something new. Many of them left very comfortable lives behind them. They recognized that there was a lot of clutter between them and God. Many of them would discover, as they fled out into the wilderness, having shed all material things, that that clutter stayed with them in here and in here, and even as they entered caves and cells and built little communities 
bound together in a common rule, they found themselves continuing to struggle with the very basics of what it meant to follow after the call of God and all the ways that we as humans stumble our own feet. While they used a different language to talk about it, they were wrestling, of course, with the very human characteristic of addiction, which is what our sisters and brothers who gather in 12-step programs all over the county every week do. And the first step in that process is to surrender, to surrender to admit that we don't have the power over our lives. We think we do. And that opens the door, begins the process, a Lenten process, we might call it, of recovery. Our society, of course, denies its own addiction by casting those who visibly struggle from addiction out or stigmatizing them, or medicalizing them, or declaring that they have some sort of character flaw when, in fact, our society itself struggles with addiction. We are addicted to wealth. We are addicted to oil and an economy of extraction. We are addicted in some way, shape, or form to an economy of exploitation. Although we wrestle with that consciously, we still know we rely on it. So all that we have is touched and tainted by that. We struggle with a society that is addicted to material things, to creature comforts. We know there is a huge pharmaceutical industry that's more than happy to deaden our sense of pain, sometimes addicting us again. And we deal, most of all, with our addiction to ourselves, our own notions of what's right, and our own personalities. It's not easy stuff to talk about, is it? But it is the beginning of what is real. We sometimes make the mistake reading today's gospel as though this is somehow a reified situation. This is, this is some sort of supernatural dialogue going on between the Son of God and the Son of Darkness. But in fact, the temptations that Jesus is confronting in the wilderness are garden variety basics. It's the basic stuff we all face. We are all driven to our grasping and our addictive processes by hunger. Hunger for one thing or another. And to confront our hunger is the first thing that we are taught at the beginning of Lent. Because that's what Jesus does in the wilderness. He fasts not to bring his blood pressure down, Not so that his cholesterol is in check. Not so that he gets back to a healthy weight. Not so he can look fit on Miller Avenue. But so that he can come to grips 
with the most essential thing about us, and that is that we are hungry. It's built into the human condition. We need food. And Jesus leans into a text that Luke won't even allow him to finish the way Matthew does. And that is that we do not live on bread alone. Matthew will finish that and say, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Luke leaves that implied, we're not there yet. Luke wants us to sit with our hunger as Jesus sat with it. Because when we grasp, when we exercise power to sate our hunger, we are setting aside the wisdom that is there for us, that we are totally reliant on the generosity of our God and others for our existence. And no matter how well we set up our transactional economy to meet that need, the truth remains we are not able to satiate our hunger by ourselves. And the second temptation flows immediately from that because once we grasp for power over our own hunger, we immediately grasp to protect that ability by beginning to build power over others. Now granted, most of us have not been tempted to great power over the world. Headlines notwithstanding, most of us are not going to run for president of the United States, right? But our temptation to power over others generally is much more domestic than that. And in fact, it comes out in strange ways, particularly in our most intimate lives. Parents know this temptation with their children power over our children. Children sometimes get clever and try to exercise power over their parents, too. We know that. Siblings are always vying for power. And even in our relationships with our spouses, we are tempted to manipulate and control rather than to invite and offer space for growth power over others, a great temptation for Jesus, just as it is for us. And then finally, that third temptation that we all play games with, do you love me? Do you love me? No, really, do you love me? If I work hard for you, will you love me more? If I stand on my head and do three handsprings, will you love me? Will you watch me? How about my temptations? If I make the music especially beautiful, will you love me? If I preach a good sermon, will you love me? If I raise enough money for you, will you love me? Will you love me? That's the temptation that... Jesus encounters when he's taken up to the pinnacle of the temple because at the root of that, of course, is a question we all have of God. Do you love me? Will you really take care of me? 
Will you really be there for me when the chips are down, when I'm abandoned? Or even more pressing, will you really love me when I mess up? Will you? Will you? These are the three baseline temptations that we all struggle with. And the good news for us this day is that we don't struggle with them alone anymore. The message that Luke wants us to hear, and so do Matthew and Mark, is that Jesus is there with us. So our brothers and sisters who are engaged in 12 steps know that in addition to surrendering and admitting their powerlessness over addiction, the next step is to embrace a power that is greater than themselves, what we call God in Christ. That the door that opens for us in Lent and that we move through leads us to a relationship where Jesus meets us in our temptations and even in our sins and where we have fallen short and where we are hopelessly blind to our own grasping after power over ourselves and others and where we sing that song with endless refrains that's longer than the great litany itself, Do You Love Me? Jesus says, yes, I am here with you. And we will walk this road together. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.